everybody, welcome to the Voxology Podcast. Mike, you're here, Tim Stafford there, and you are where? Somewhere. We're not sure, but we're glad that you're with us. Thanks for tuning in. We are continually surprised that people listen to this, and so well done. We'll try to make it as painless as possible. I've got a couple of things to get into. We have an interview today with a guy named Chris Nye, and all the, the Bible guy jokes um, have been applied uh, previously, so we're going to stay away from all of those. But um, he, he wrote um, uh, a really interesting book called A Captive Mind, and it ties in a little bit with the last episode, Having the Mind of Christ. It's just an interesting uh, bubbling up of some conversations about is Christianity a set of ideas and how do you best understand it? And, um, and so we love the fact that these two episodes go sort of back to back. But Timothy, but there are uh, there's some things we need to discuss, my friend. That always reminds me of um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure at the end when they're in that conversation. I've like, never seen. Everybody's got it. a big butt. Some you haven't seen Pee Wee's Big Adventure? Never. I've never even oh, seen man. his little adventure. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, I got. I have no. I, oh, no. <laughs> did he get in trouble for something? Wasn't yeah, there something he, awful? Well, I, he was uh, he was taking care of business in a movie theater. Oh, totally. can I say it that way? Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Now, um, so yes, I definitely <laughs> want to watch watch the movie now. Um, that's a great movie. Now, <laughs> what were you were you the guy telling me that White Chicks was a good movie? No, that was not me. Okay. But I will tell you that Pee Wee's Big Adventure was a great movie, and no. it was Tim Burton's first directorial movie. I, I don't. It doesn't matter. What I'm going to do now <laughs> is I'm going to say thank you to Amanda, and I'm going to say thank you to Jonathan, and we'll say thank you to Kirby for coming on the Patreon. Woo! Thank you so much for joining our community. <laughs> We are crowdfunded, and so thank you. It means so much. And we discovered the identity of FG, who had, uh, who had joined the Patreon team last episode. We guessed it was Franklin Graham, and it is not. And oh. She emailed in. We have a, we have a big email uh, from her that I've yet to read, but I just saw that it introduced um, who this person is. And so thank you for your your uh, introduction and thank you for your support um tim it was a big yeah. week for me oh i received a, a very thoughtful uh book in the mail and uh an accompanying letter the book was called the christian voter seven non-negotiables for voting for not against your values and um and it 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 had um, a, like an intro letter addressed to our lead pastor that I'm now adopting. I'm I'm reading from you know the text that was sent to him as kind of uh, the senior guy in our leadership team. Um, so, but I thought this was just such an interesting thing in light of some of the conversations we've been we've been having, Timothy. <laughs> I can't wait. So, did you know? That if churches could motivate their fellowship to vote, they can change the outcome of this present election. While we know prayer is our most treasured and powerful tool, 
We must also follow through on our faith by exercising our right to vote for candidates that embody biblical conservative values. There is so much at stake, he then enumerates the traditional issues at stake in the minds of conservatives. Without the Christian vote, our country will quickly descend into a greater war on Christianity and biblical values. Um, I, uh, let's see. <laughs> he offers uh, an event to do at our church. Um, we'll talk about the Christian worldview, what it is and how Christians should be able to vote their values. And uh, I would be speaking on the current election, the candidates, and where they stand on the issues. It is nonpartisan and ends with a call for repentance. Sounds like it. Yeah, I was, and I just thought that was so interesting. Um, it's nonpartisan, but it's all about protecting our conservative Christian values. Right. I wonder, and so it's just, it was, it is the, I, I, it's tongue-in-cheek, obviously. I mean, not the letter, but my... Reaction to the letter certainly is tongue-in-cheek. But, but, oh, oh, it's Seth Eery time. Hold on. Wait, put a pin in that, though. I want to revisit that. Yeah, we're coming back. Now? Right now. Right now? It's happening right now. Do you have it right now? Yeah, we're doing it right now. All right. Come Do here. Come here, buddy. You're here. Do that. Yep. All right. Let's see. You get that one. All right, Seth, bring it in. Okay. Bring it in, baby. All right. Good morning. Good. Welcome to Fox OG Podcast. Woo! <laughs> yeah, with Tim Stenberg. With Tim yeah, Stenberg. Yeah. Daddy Mike is Seth. Yeah. So Seth's bus got done early. They like they, they had a half day because it's the Friday before fall break. Fall break. Yeah, so yes. I knew there could be the chance of uh, an eruption of Seth laughter and joy and I was counting on it and here it is. Yeah. Now, Seth. Yeah. You brought home a donut. Yes. Yes. Did you make this one? Um yeah. You you cooked it? No. No. Oh. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, uh, well, who got you a donut? A bus stop. The bus driver got you a donut? Yeah. Oh my goodness, Seth Thomas. Yeah. That's very exciting. Now, you want to tell everybody just a little bit about your school today? Um, my school is good. Your school is good, yeah. And absolutely. Oh, I got, got Sonic for lunch today. You had Sonic for lunch today? Yeah. At wow. school? Yeah. Oh, what did you have? I got uh, chicken nuggets with fries with ranch. I am shocked. Uh, uh, without ranch. Without ranch? Yeah. They didn't. Without. A loud ranch? Yeah. What did, what did you say? Way out. Way out? Yeah. Way out ranch? Yeah. I don't know oh. what that means, but I, I hope that... Is that good? Does that mean okay, it was extra it's good? Him. Oh, sorry. It's him. Yes. What? Hate that service sauce. Set. <laughs> hit that Sethy song. <laughs> no, hate that get up and fight by news. No, we're not doing get up and fight oh, by news. No, we're not talking about Bruno either, buddy. We're talking about the no, Sethy no, theme song. No, okay. No. Hey, hey, Sam. Yeah. Hey, Sam, listen. It's from a police. I ain't Sam's ever said. Sam, please. It's that. It's that. It's that. Right. So, so obviously, 
you know, the, the letter is serious. My reaction to the letter is a bit tongue-in-cheek. Right. Um, because it, it <laughs> it's just another example. I, and we've looked at large ones in terms of like, hey, if you don't vote a certain way, you're unfaithful to God. Uh, but here's just a local, evidently this person's local, and they're sitting in. So I flipped through the book, and, um, you know, it, it's... It's laying out what the Christian worldview is and then how you should vote in alignment. to. Yeah, so this what, is actually a great, I'm sure you're well aware of this, a great intro to what we're talking about today with the guest and the book yes. that he brought in, The Captive Mind, and kind of this conversation about ideologies. And we didn't get into this part of it with him, but obviously, yeah. so that is a version of that, right? Like, here's a here's an ideology to be an you know a real yeah. christian or whatever you know to have yeah. a real effect on the world we look at like january 6th something like that that you know this is what jesus would do this was god like take back the power take back the unrighteous take back the unholy yeah we need to take back america and you see how that kind of happens and i, right. I thought it was interesting and we didn't get to talk about this but maybe you and i could talk for a second but the yeah the idea that, so I think a lot of our listeners don't necessarily, are not necessarily overtaken by that kind of ideology or they're not being held captive by kind of that version. I think most of our listeners are, you know, watched on January 6th and are like, what is happening? Right. But, you know, obviously there's other types of ideology that we are captured by. And we, you and I have talked in, at length about um, just subscribing hook, line, and sinker to one, whether it's a right or a left or um, whatever, and just taking everything and adapting all of it to your frame of thinking. And you've done a very good job of advocating that we're thinking in a way that's above and outside of that binary system. Trying to, yeah. Um, but I think what's interesting about his book is And we're how, talking about... We're talking about the guy we're about to interview. Yeah, book. the, the not, interview you're not about the to book hear. I was just referencing. No, 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 yeah, sorry. Chris's book that we just got done talking that you guys are about to listen to. Man, it's a time <laughs> warp. It's the matrix. But like how do you, how do we enter in lovingly into this ideological world, into this captive world? Right. And how do we you know, does that make sense? Because in the news Absolutely. this week, you and I shared it with each other a few different things, and we don't have to get into those, but they're all based around ideas of Christian nationalism. People are owning that term now. Like, yes, I am a Christian nationalist, and I think that's a good thing. And, and we should be. Yes. You should be a Christian nationalist. And then there's things like when, with, and you kind of just referenced this, but this is the other side of that coin, is that somebody like Herschel Walker, which has been all over the news this week for you know, his strong, let's ban all abortions, but apparently paid for one, has lots of um, children with different women all over the country that he doesn't father. And uh, and then so these, you you see those viral news clips come out, they're like, whatever that lady said, where she's like, I don't care if Herschel Walker aborted. Mm-hmm. Um, eagles or something. Like eagle babies, like sacred eagle babies. I want Republican control of the Congress or whatever. Right. And so it's like, right. there we go. This is about, this isn't about the content, it's about the ideology. And so it can, doesn't matter how you exist within that as long as you adhere to the correct rhetoric. Yeah. 
And that's and, kind of where we are. Absolutely. And that's why this the, the book we're going to talk about is talking about being captive to ideologies. Yeah. And there there is a form of Christianity that is nothing more than just another version of an ideology in competition with other ideologies. Yeah. yeah. Um, and threatened by other ideologies. And so we, we've long tried to establish uh, that faith in Jesus is something other than just a set of ideas that we mentally sort of assent to. But the thing that I, I always feel re- responsible to say is it's only because my particular tribe is doing this that I'm right. critical of my particular tribe. In other words, if I were getting this book by Democrats um, and, uh, you know, grew up in that tradition. Now you're talking here, about the book that you was given to your Yes, pastor. thank you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the Christian voter book. Yeah. I would have the same objections. In other words, yes. my objections aren't against one party in favor to another party. And they're always heard this way. Like, people will always say, well, that's just because you guys are raging liberals, which... Right isn't true the liberals wouldn't adopt us um they wouldn't have us either so it's not that that critiquing uh the conservative side is embracing the non-conservative side it's that in my tribe the conservative side is the one that's been dubbed and baptized as god ordained yes that's the part which is to me the when you say that is very clear I, I, but for years we've been saying this and people still are like, nope, nope, you're just a shill. And you're like, um, no, the shill actually is you who can't hear, um, any other, that's the captive mind is that you can't hear any critique of your own side as any other thing than, um, an embrace of the other. And that sort of binary continuum that just emphasizes individual rights over and above everything else, but just disagrees with where those rights should be extended and curtailed, that whole thing is called into question by the kingdom of God. Well, I was thinking about this yesterday in class and trying to provoke my students to not just make hot take claims about things and to think through and then then respond. And I was thinking about that in regards to the church because one of the chapters in his book in now back to Chris's, yeah, book, Chris's that book we're about to yeah. discuss is an idiot is worse than a villain. And he talks about this foolishness idea, but kind of how like, I think he was talking about Hitler and the example he gives in the interview. And, you know, Hitler was a terrible person and a villain, but he was only enabled because of all the fools beneath him. And I think that, and then I, I tweeted back at you today, this morning, like you, you did a, you did a quote from the book and I tweeted back the, um, who is more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows yes. him. Yes. And that like, there is so much to that idea. And so I, I was thinking about that in regards to Jesus and how many t- questions he answered with questions. Yeah. Oh my god. And goodness, just yes. like, he was a really good English teacher and trying to like <laughs> push, like, I want you, I that's a great question. I want you to engage with the question. Right. And I want you to process it and take some ownership and a little bit of agency in that. And what a powerful thing that is to equip people to do, to think through. And that's like the best way to not become an idiot or to be taken captive by something. Yeah. That's right. That's it. And I love it to death. And it's so Christ and this ideology adoption process is so not, and it's such a, it's, the disparity is shocking. 
Yeah. Yeah. So so let's get to that interview. Yeah. We've teased it. It's teased. <laughs> um, we're so ready. Parse through which book we were talking about in each. I know, thing seriously. There. But listen, y'all. We are y'all. Listen Uh-oh. to me, y'all. <laughs> there it was. Listen, y'all. Thanks for being so awesome. Thanks for listening. Let us know what you think. Take care, guys. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, it is so great today to be here with our new friend who we've just found out is kind of an old friend. This is our friend Chris, and Chris um, at least got my attention by writing a book, which is awesome, and it's a great book, but as it turns out, has listened to our podcast, and anytime we meet someone who at least claims to have listened at one point or another, we want to interview them because we're shocked. <laughs> and, and so, so Chris, hello. Chris and hello, I, Mark. hello, welcome. How are you? I'm great. I'm great, Mike, Tim. Uh, yeah, long time listener, first time guest. I feel oh, honored. There it is. There it is. We need a <laughs> bell or something for that. I'll Chris, um, tell us, if you would, um, just a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What are you? Where are you? And how are you? I was thinking why of why are you? Why is Gamora yeah. from Marvel? Yeah, the, yes. The why are you is the rest of our conversation. Um, so yeah, I uh, I live in Portland, Oregon with my wife, Allie, of 12 years. Nice. She is a um, pediatric anesthesiologist. So Of course she is. Just haven't tried to keep up with her ever. Um, so as a pastor, both of you put people to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> There it is. That's a good one. There it is. I don't know if I've heard that yet. That's a good All right. one. All right. I'm See. stealing that. All right. There you go. My usual joke I use, you know, we all have, if we speak and travel oh, yeah. a little bit, we always oh, yeah. have the joke we use that we're like, we know this will, might work. And my wife rolls her eyes. She hates it, but I'll give it to you. I say yeah. a lot of guys, you know, married up. Um, they say that. They say they married up, but I have yeah. tax documents to prove it. You know, that's. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. That's a solid. Um, that's a solid opener. Yes. Yeah. So uh, we have one son, Jude. He's three. Um, so yeah. Most important thing, uh, I'm a husband. I'm, I'm a father, and uh, I live in Portland. Those are important things. But um, yeah. I've also been in Christian ministry for most of my life. I, I got ordained probably too young, mm. um, and uh, so I've been in ministry for like 15 years. Did like youth ministry and um, have been in the local church for a long time. My family and I just moved from the Bay Area to Portland um, for my wife to take a job. We're from here. Yeah, this is like our Portland, home. Because because the Bay Area isn't liberal enough. So <laughs> excellent. Well, and also we lived in Seattle for a little while. So we've done oh, well, there, Seattle, yeah. the Bay. Yeah. yeah. The the only place we haven't hit is LA, but my brother lives there. So okay, perfect. We got the yeah, West so Coast we're coming. we're in Portland and I'm working on a doctorate at Duke and kind of taking a little bit of a break actually from local church ministry. Um, because I've just been going at it for 15 years. So I'm taking like a little bit of time doing some writing, finishing up this doctorate, and then kind of seeking what's next in, in, in the Lord. But um, have always loved the local church, have always loved theology, have always loved the intersection of how we can teach faithfully the scriptures um, at a high level um, to our congregation, to our people. Um, so I'm not really like an academic, although I'm in the academic circles. I like to just try to bridge the yeah. stuff into the into the yeah. church. 
Yeah, you drop big words at parties. You're that guy. Totally. <laughs> I want to be that guy too. Are you now, a part now, of are you on a sabbatical from a church or are you a free agent right now? Free agent. Ooh. Ooh. Nice. So yeah. you're the Albert Pujols of He's I, retiring. I is he retiring? Okay. So yeah. I'm more the Albert. Um he's more Are you retiring? Are you making an no. announcement? <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, we'll move on from the metaphor. Um, the biggest question, Chris, I have for you is describe Tim Stafford's face. Like you've heard the voice. This yeah. feels fun. You've you've been soothed and comforted by the voice. Tell me, tell me how, what the face does the face match the voice? That's it, what I'm, we're dying I'm, to know. I'm here to say it matches, you guys. Oh, it yeah. matches real nicely. It's like a pairing of like a wine yeah. with a nice wine with a nice steak, you know? Yeah. Oh. It's like uh you're gonna say I, cheese. I like steak better. Okay. <laughs> it matches great. It's good to see him. If flannel had like broken in flannel had a face, it would be the face of Tim Stafford. There it that's, is. That's good. I think that's true. Now, Chris, let's Portland. talk about let's talk about your book because here we are. Hmm. And well, no, I, actually, the 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 reason, um, or at least one of the things that had got my attention was an article you wrote for Christianity Today, which yeah. I absolutely loved, and that will get us into the book. But it was yeah. something like a hot takes don't belong in church. Yeah, that- not my not my title, as as you might know. Uh, editors <laughs> editors like to use headlines that might yeah. grab Mike Erie's attention. Well, it uh, worked. It, it worked. worked. Look at them. But yeah, yes, I wrote wrote that piece, and uh, yeah, it's kind of about. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see what what you took away from it. It was it was really about my my struggle as a pastor of constant current events happening yes. and feeling like I have to create statements um, and even change my preaching and worship liturgy or plan for the Sunday because of events and also the way events are coming into people's lives is just different now. There mm-hmm. is not one headline. There's 900 headlines, yeah. and the struggle of filtering those 900 headlines through my people and knowing what is pastorally responsible where i have to speak about this but also how how do i keep up so i wrote that article a little bit as a way to process some of that and also maybe help some pastors yeah absolutely it's interesting because the hot take business um is a great way to build a platform as we know that's why so many people kind of engage in it and uh, but it's not a great way to pastor. So how would you see how would you see the difference between the two? Well, yeah, the, one of the things I was unpacking in the article was the difference between like a PR firm and the church. And mm-hmm. a PR firm is taking a message, filtering it, and disseminating it to the widest possible audience. Right. I think yeah. the pastor is different. Um, we're not actually filtering a message. Mm-hmm. Right. We're actually you know, Paul has that language of like, I'm entrusting you, Timothy, with what was handed over to me. Mm-hmm. There's a deposit, he calls it. Like something was given to me. We actually need to cherish it, protect it, and leave it unstained and unfiltered. You know, those words in scripture, like remember in the, what's that beginning of Galatians where he's like talking about kind of a distortion of the gospel or whatever. It seems to be that the pastor's job is to do the opposite of a PR firm and keep the message intact and whole, but also as messy as it actually is and mm. as complicated as it actually is. Mm. Uh, one reason I like your guys' podcast is I feel like you are okay with that. You got to just kind of let the word breathe instead of containing it 
So there's that. And there's also just this, um, I think that there's a celebrity thing with pastors right now. And we think we are kind of like influencers or, or celebrities mm-hmm. who the mm-hmm. celebrity is, is the one who needs to speak first and speak right away and have something articulate to say. They usually have a PR team helping them say those things. Yeah. And pastors feel like they have to do that. But pastors are primarily people who will pray for you. And they're primarily people who have theology degrees and they don't have degrees on current events or political science or mm. anything like that. And so our specialty is to pray for you and to teach the word of God. Um, and, you know, most of us pastors, if I could speak for many people, as as much as we'd like to say we are well informed oh we're just just like you we're just like normal people (laughs) we read the headlines and we don't read the article no no we listen to the podcast and we don't read the book nope listen (laughs) my aunt on facebook is a uh, infectious disease specialist by according to the memes that she sends so i you know i I think it's possible wasn't there an article recently that came out that was talking about christian influencers overtaking like the influence of pastors with the younger generation like there's a percentage or a stat that's out there showing how much and this is possibly a segue to into the book because the ideologies that they are kind of pushing through um social media as influencers are affecting and you see it with like these i'll see it in like the parody accounts that have these christian (laughs) memes or these tiktok things come through that are just like what what in the world is this but they're they circulate like fast and they have tens of thousands of followers or more Mm -hmm. and that's like that's a really interesting because it's then it's not even like it's it's the reverse of what you just said right or maybe not it's actually lacking both the theological like stamina as well as a, a probably a probably an astute social commentary so it's lacking both things and it happens on a really fast cycle that spins people up so it's a kind of an interesting it's an interesting scary future if that kind of keeps moving in that direction because it lacks substance on any end of the spectrum yes but but they dance well yes which is very just like we've come so far from everything right well, dance well. What, what? Yeah, one of the one of the things that's hard for me as a pastor is the amount of people in the churches I've worked in in the last, you know, I'd say last seven years since the internet really came into a new age, is kind of what you're talking about. Thanks, Obama. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's just like they read one set of Instagram slides, you know. And they bring that to me as if that has upended <laughs> their whole childhood. What do you think about this? Yeah, yeah. And even I used to be a youth pastor. So former students of mine, you know, I think they read that and they're like, how come you never said anything about this? Mm. I was like, well, one, that's not really a good theology that you just read. You read three slides and it's really trite, you know? Um, but it's interesting. My point is how quickly a TikTok video or a meme or four Instagram slides or an Instagram story. It's interesting how quickly that will sow a seed of doubt in somebody versus the time that it's going to take to reconstruct after the doubt or after the, the, you you know, it's just, Mm. it's quick to tear it down, but people don't understand to build, you know, a good 
mind takes a lifetime, but yeah. it can take 90 seconds on TikTok to kind of destroy something. Mm. And the art of teaching people that is really hard because I think also then pastors want to just respond through TikTok videos and they want to respond through Instagram because they're like, right. that's the medium. And I get that. I think there's a lot of wisdom there, but I'm a lot more encouraged by the medium of actually podcasting of actually YouTube, I think can be a place, Lord help us, could be a place where longer form kind of careful thinking can happen. Oh man, but it seems hard. I don't know how to mm. battle it because I think to fight Instagram with Instagram or to fight TikTok with TikTok, it doesn't seem that that's going to work because I don't think caring for our mind and developing a mind that knows God can happen in that medium. I'm, yeah. I'm suspicious of that. All who live by TikTok will die by TikTok. That's Jesus Amen, Pastor. Something, something like that. Where, where do you think the pressure comes from uh, that pastors are feeling or ministers are feeling to be PR representatives for Jesus? Um, I thought you had a great line that I'm not remembering, but it was in that article about the pressure we feel to be Jesus's uh, PR arm. Uh, yeah. into the world. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting, I feel that, I feel that pressure too. Um, why do you think that is? And where do you think it comes from? Probably from a lot of places. For me, it just comes from my people who I love. I love them. I love the people in my churches. They, they want to know what the church thinks. Mm. They, and, and I actually really respect that. And I want to help them figure that out, but they want to know what the church thinks immediately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. take roe v wade for example mm -hmm. um there were people in my church on both sides of the spectrum on that one as i imagine maybe a lot of evangelical pastors yeah so i had people that sunday you know say why why aren't we celebrating right you know why why aren't why aren't we waving the flag and saying we won yeah and i had people saying why aren't we doing an entire service of lament yeah so the yes the, the, yeah yes so the pressure for me comes from that. I'm sure other pastors kind of sense it from other places, but mm -hmm. I, and I actually think that's a good pressure that should help us think how to be wiser and more humble leaders. Um, we should listen to our people and kind of help, help see what's going on there. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I'm not saying like, Oh, this pressure is bad. Like these people are crazy. I, these people yeah. I love and they, yeah. they, they need help. They need help sorting through, uh, Roe v. Wade, how should I feel about it? But I'm just wondering, is the sermon and the Sunday moment the best time for that? That was mm -hmm. really where the article was like, you know, going yep. or whatever. But what I, I'm actually curious what you guys think. Do you, I mean, Mike, do you feel that pressure from you, oh, where man, you're that, at? Okay. That, Roe, that Roe v. Wade thing, that's exactly where, where our Sunday service went. We had to sit yeah. up at the very beginning of the service and say, some of you were here and you're celebrating some of you are here and you're grieving and we have to respect each other around the table of Jesus. I love that. Um, and no, it's the, I mean, it's the exact same thing. And that's where the, the podcasting format has been such a gift where you don't have to be as precise as you would be in a book. You don't have to be as um, careful yeah. about your assumptions as you would be in a sermon. But you have an opportunity to do some careful thinking, but but in a format that allows and assumes that there's some on-the-fly conversation happening. 
And so I, I actually think the, the podcast format is a great format to deal with some of these things. There have been several times, as, as you can imagine, there have been things that have happened where we've dropped everything we were planning and we're like, we got to talk about this. And sometimes yeah. the talking is just, hey, this happened and we have no idea how to feel about this. Uh, I think the great gift of social media is the sense that we're not alone. And yeah. I think one role that podcasts could play in the development of a community is that same sense that there are people mm. out there having the same reaction or non-reaction to something that I'm having too. That's, so that's 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 good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so so for I, I feel incredibly lucky, blessed, fortunate to have both opportunities. On the one hand, to sit with a crew of people and to wrestle through the text in a systematic way in submission, in mutual submission and reciprocity. And I also think it's incredibly helpful to have conversation partners where you're not always sure where the thing's going to go um, and you're learning kind of on the on the fly. So I feel very fortunate to sit in both both worlds, but recognize yeah. the uh, the pressure if I didn't have the podcast that I would exactly feel uh, the the way that you're describing to have a take that represents Jesus well, um, uh, and and have it quickly. And but yeah. but where where does that so my question that, is for yeah, you back good. to you is where where does that and virtue signaling where do those two things overlap because the virtue signaling bit of hey I've got to be seen to have the right opinion on this I think that's I think that's like devilish I I think that trap is is a no win scenario I think um, but the idea of saying something. I think is compelling. So where either for you personally or as believers, do you think we should draw that the the line? Well, I think the the line comes through a few questions. One is what is Sunday for? What are we doing on, on Sundays? What is worship for? And to me, that helps inform whether I speak or not, mm. because one of the things I've learned is that no matter many people are actually looking for just an acknowledgement of an event. And so mistakes I've made have been crafting statements and making polished opinions, Mm -hmm. but I've learned to call my people to prayer. And that's a way of acknowledging it, of like putting Mm -hmm. something it's like, okay, I grew up in the Catholic church Mm -hmm. and in the Catholic church, they have this section uh, called the prayers of the people in their liturgy. Right. And like, they, they literally just rattle off like, you know, Debbie has cancer um, and we're going to lift her up, you know, um, mm-hmm. and pray for her right now. Um, and so Lord, hear our prayer is the, res- is the thing they recite, you know? Um, and I, I think evangelicals need a sp- something like that because that could be a space in which we acknowledge these events without having to form an opinion on them. Because the truth is, I don't think we should have an opinion on everything, right? Mm-hmm. And um, Thomas Merton, another Catholic, like he he stopped responding to public events when he in 1966. He wrote an article called "Events and Pseudo Events," and one of the reasons he stopped weighing in and he stopped kind of like producing these articles about mm-hmm. what he thought about the Vietnam War was was in in its height. The civil rights oh, movement well, was in yeah. it was a very tumultuous time in the late 60s, and one of the reasons he said is he said. If I speak, um, it puts me in a position above the event instead of a position beneath the event where 
What he meant was yep. there's a condemnation we should actually feel sometimes when these events happen, right? Mm. Okay, yeah. Uvalde, Sandy Hook, mm-hmm. horrific demonic mm-hmm. events. When I make a comment on it, it puts me above the event. This is what I think. This is how yeah. it should go. Yeah. This is what God thinks about this or whatever. This kind mm-hmm. of like, mm-hmm. but to pray and to ask for God's mercy on our country and the state of this world mm. places me and I bring my people into this underneath it. And so for me, a line that I'm drawing is when do we need to pray together? Probably always. We probably always need to be praying together. <laughs> when do we need to speak about it and how do we need to speak about it? That's where I'm questioning the medium. I'm like, yeah. maybe it, maybe it's just not Sunday yeah. and we are maybe going to produce a podcast and kind of sort through these things and have it be a little bit imperfect. Or maybe, yeah. you know, I'm yeah. going to record something um, a little bit longer and just kind of sort through things out. Or maybe I'm going to tell my people, you know, um, one of my friends did this uh, after uh, Buffalo. Mm. Uh, he, he said he, he was a black pastor and he said, uh, I am not prepared to speak about this. Yeah, that's good. It did happen. Yep. I don't have an opinion about it. I'm yeah. crushed by it. I'm yeah. confused by it. I will talk about it at some point and in mm-hmm. some fashion, but today's not the day. Here's the sermon. Yeah. That's, and I, then he that's, just went, then he just went a whole other direction. That's not yeah. virtue singling. That's the, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's the opposite. That's going, that's right. I'm confused just that's like humility. you. And I hurt just like you. And yep. I'm going to preach on a text that has nothing to do with what just yeah. happened yeah. because I just want to find Jesus today. And I yeah. want to see where Jesus is leading us. Well, there's so much patience in that approach. And when I think yeah, about I like that. in the classroom, trying to help students not react to things and mm. trying to help them to take everything in, understand what is happening or what is being said or whatever, process that so they understand it before they are allowed to have their own input on it. So mm. they have to take time to critically think. They have to take time to process and discern a response from that. The meme culture and the social media culture does not, it's the opposite. It demands immediate mm-hmm. responses. So you're not critically thinking. You're not discerning anything. You're just reacting. And then we make the reactions the truth. I think that's a really fascinating, like teaching people. I'm just processing out loud as you talk about the Sunday morning scenario. Teaching people to have patience and to just to think. <laughs> To yeah. process information and, and be in that. And then before they find their place in it, you know, part of what prayer is, is just, I, f- I think that that is what part of prayers, I guess is what I was saying. That hmm. is, it's slowing down for a second. And our side of that is in, engaging with whatever the request is or whatever the thing is that we're talking about and letting that be a thing that's real before we just respond to it. We're just so quick with everything. So I think that all makes a lot of sense. And I like that response a lot. Like I, this did happen and I'm going to, I'm going to mourn for a second before I even begin to try to sculpt or fashion a response that I think that's very wise. It's a very wise response or very wise posture to have period in anything. Yeah. It might, it might also model for our people. Yeah. You know, it might be a good model. Yeah which was a great idea for a pastor or a shepherd to. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is where ideologies play a huge part, right? Because well, look at that segue. We're dude, you don't even know how good this is. Um, this is very professional. We're so professional. 
where we have ready-made lenses yeah. from which to see and react. So, so we don't need to think. Um, we don't need to wrestle. We don't need to pause. We don't need patience or humility. We already know how this thing's going to be spun or where it's going to go or how our you know, ideological opponents are going to use this. And so um, I'd love for you to talk just a little bit about the role ideology plays. And what does it mean to be, an, uh, and I'm saying ideology in all the different ways. So I'm going to yeah. say ideological captive, <laughs> but I'm going to say, you know. So, so define what uh, an, an ideology is. And what does it mean to be captive to one in the, the kind of playful way you do in the book in terms of like, oh, yeah, here's a conversation I had with somebody and they give they answer one question and I know how they'll answer every other question I'll ask. Like just set that frame up for us. Yes, I think uh, I, I, I have a chapter in the middle of the book where I use Bonhoeffer and I think he described ideological captivity best. Uh, he, he talks about having conversations with people in Germany in the 1940s as the Hitler rose to power, where he's like, I, I feel like I'm not even talking to a person anymore. I'm talking to like a walking catchphrase is, mm -hmm. is what he said. I'm wow. just I'm interacting with not even the man himself, but catchphrases and slogans was what he said. Mm. And when I read that, um, that's from his letters and papers in prison. Uh, and he, it was an essay called 10 years after where he was reflecting on 10 years under Hitler. Um, and he was near the end of his life and he, he was in prison and he was just saying, how did we get here? Mm. And his, his argument is that we didn't get here because, um, of evil primarily. He's like, Hitler is evil, but we got here because of foolishness. The, 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 the evil doer cannot succeed if not fools are beneath him supporting him. Mm. And when I was reading that, I thought, man, I feel like I interact with people all the time that way. It's like one of my friends put it really well. He goes, uh, when, when I'm having dinner with somebody and they start talking about cultural issues, I already know what blogs they're reading mm -hmm. or I know what social media accounts they're following yeah. because they're just regurgitating prepackaged sets of ideas, ideologies, and they're just issuing them back into the world. And they're usually adopting those prepackaged sets of ideas because they have found comfort in that. It's an emotional kind of thing. They find a therapeutic, like this person understands the world. The other thing I think people often will relate with this, you'll be in a discussion with someone and they are trying to tell you what they think about it. And then they're like, um, I, I just, I'll send you this video. Totally. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 you, you tell me what you think about this, you know, yeah. or because you're a person, but right. they seem to be unable to actually articulate their ideas because they need a video or a meme or an article to share what they think about it. And I get, we all need help articulating stuff. So I'm not, but it is interesting, our proclivity towards those slogans, catchphrases mm -hmm. and other people doing the thinking for us because it makes us feel a certain way about our experience in the world. Yeah, Ideological captivity looks like developing those catchphrases after being saturated with a particular kind of content and not so, really widening your lenses. So um, it seems that, that naturally Christians would fall into this as they embrace different forms of Christianity. In other words, 
um, we've all been, you know, in a situation where someone says a cliche and we all just go, oh my goodness, that's like the worst thing you could possibly say right now. But that's, so, so I see that same captivity in the church. Now, what separates that captivity from authentic biblical faith? The, the difference, I think, lies in, in a similar vein as what I was talking about, which is, are people able to share what they really, um, how they really experience Jesus? I'll actually use kind of a, maybe a strange example, but I hope it works. <laughs> when I was ministering in the Tenderloin, which was, is the uh, inner city of San Francisco, the, one mm. of the poorest neighborhoods mm. in the Bay Area, um, I was there for two years and um, we had people with cognitive disabilities, many, much mental illness. And there was a guy named Tom there who uh, had schizophrenia. And um, he, he, he had, he, he, you know, we would say about him, he's lost his mind. That's what we would say. That's what the culture would say about Tom. But Tom was able to articulate uh, the way that Jesus viewed him. He was able, even though he couldn't really know God in the same way with the way his mind worked, he mm. did know one thing that God knew him. Mm. And it was more important for Tom to be known than to know uh, and he knew his brain was broken. He, he knew that he had schizophrenia. He would say that, oh. he'd say, my brain's broken. Um, but he had an understanding of the love of God in his life. And that was extremely evident to all of us who knew Tom. Um, and I think that he presents an interesting example, which is, you know, we don't need to have the right ideas about God. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not an idea. That's one of my things in the book is like uh, Christianity is emphatically not an idea. It is an event. It is an event. And the understanding of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that has done for us is the, is the thought, you know, that's what Carl Barth would say. It's like the, the, there is one thought, right. And it's Christ. And Tom had that thought. Okay. But he wasn't able to articulate much else. And I think that that's really the beauty of the Christian faith is that we do, we are not, regurgitating prepackaged sets of ideas. We are in relationship with the living God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. To know that is salvation. And Tom was saved. Tom knew Christ. Uh, Tom struggled to know much else because of the way that his brain experienced the world. Mm -hmm. But he loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, just with what was given to him. Does that help? It's kind of an interesting maybe example, but um, yeah, I, no, I think you, that our you, friends with those those experiences actually have a lot to teach us. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Um, what's the difference then uh, between someone formed by an event versus someone formed by an idea? Because you could say that Tom had an idea, yeah. and that idea was what was shaping him. Um, which just pushes the concern back, you know, another level. Um, but you you would argue, no, no, he's shaped by an event, and that is a different way of being shaped. If you want to get into that a little bit, yeah, yeah, I I, I see um, when Paul says, you know, I, I gave you this gospel, and it's of first importance in First Corinthians fifteen that Christ died in accordance with the scriptures the first importance part is really good, right? Like the, the most important thing is that we have an understanding that something was accomplished on the cross. And that can happen through a lot of different ways. I think that communion is a powerful way that the event shapes us um, when we receive communion. I think a person who is shaped by 
the event worships. That's just one thing they do. They worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, they worship with integrity, that with humility, with um, wisdom and understanding. Um, and they also, uh, I think a person that's shaped by the event um, also has this living relationship because the event is that Christ is alive, right? He's not dead. So they have this activity in their life that's like always kind of um, messes with them. So like, mm-hmm. it's just Jesus is kind of always kind of messing with us a little bit because Jesus is not dead, he's alive. And so he's constantly rearranging people's lives. I think somebody who's shaped by, by an event that Jesus is up from the grave is that someone doesn't interact with Jesus as if he's he's gone and we've got to figure out all the ideas about him. Um, mm-hmm. Nope, he's living. His spirit is with us. Uh, how does the God's spirit interact with us today? How are we being changed? So uh, that's a long way of saying a person shaped by this by this event is being changed. They are turning into a different kind of person. I know you guys just had Matt and Ben on and the mm-hmm. mind of Christ idea. Like I that the love of God is kind of the center point. And that if we are, you know, I think Scazzaro says like, if we are not becoming more loving people, if if, like a a really humbling question is asking people close to you that you trust, do you experience me as a more loving person than you did a year ago? That's being shaped by a man who died for his enemies and rose in power Mm -hmm. and victory and is alive in your life right now. The only thing that can make us more loving is something more loving than ourselves being the event of Jesus Christ. So I think someone shaped by that is shaped in that way that Matt and Ben kind of talk about it a little bit, that the love of God is like, uh, you know, they talk about it being the center point or the gravity kind of that we um, live with. Yeah. Grounds us. So if Christianity isn't primarily a set of ideas, um, why is that the emphasis? Uh, do you think? Why have we substituted Christianity and understanding Christianity as a set of ideas as opposed to um, a relational reality that we encounter through an event? Okay, I want I want you guys to answer that question too, if that's okay, because I would love to hear your thoughts on that because <laughs> I think that I think that your podcast pushes on that in a really healthy way. Mm. I, th- I think we just go to it because it's easier to have ideas about God. It, mm. it, it, it just is. And it's cleaner, you know, and this is why I'd love you guys to talk on it because mm. you guys seem to be pretty comfortable with messiness. I'm sure you've also, you know, I, mean, I don't know the kind Tim? of, Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know the kind of emails y'all get, but God bless you. Um, cause I think you, <laughs> you navigate that space well, or like Preston Sprinkle, you know, I think his podcast is a good example of like, he'll take people from different sides and he, his approach seems to be somewhat like yours where it's like, Let's hear from the spectrum of ideas because these ideas are not Christ mm. and, and, and Christ sits above these ideas. And so I think we've replaced it. My, my, my thinking is that is harder to do. Mm. Uh, that is, that opens you up to misunderstanding. Um, I just read somewhere this great quote, I can, I can't remember where, but, um, someone was talking about Jesus being okay, being misunderstood and being okay, mm. having many misconceptions about himself. Mm. Uh, he, he sat very comfortably as misunderstood and the yeah. apostles did too. Yeah. And wow, that's good. I don't, I don't, I, I don't live that way. I don't know. <laughs> I struggle <laughs> with that. I want to be understood. So because well, I want to be understood. To, we're not taught to embrace that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. The, the, the mystery thing. And, so I, I think it's just easier. I don't know, but I would love to hear how you guys have thought through that. Yeah, Mike. <laughs> Whatever, Timothy. Um, I don't know. Uh, so so 
what is Christianity? I mean, that, that you spend time there and that's why yeah. I was pushing into that to say, um, if it's construed as a set of ideas, then, then sets of ideas are threatened by other sets of ideas. Right. You know, and, and if faith turns out to be certainty or some level of certainty, then uh, how can you not be threatened by um, the dissonance that comes from hearing alternative points of view? Yeah. If Christian faith is something other than certainty or confidence in a set of ideas, then you're free to engage um, in, in such beautiful ways. It sounds like very much, I mean, as you quote from all of these different people, I mean, that's those are the kind of people we want to be where we're humble and curious and perpetually interested in what other people are thinking and why they're thinking it and why they're living the way they are and why we live, you know, the way that we are. I think the trap in a book like yours, which you acknowledge and, and navigate, is, um, well, let me give you a set of ideas about Christianity not being a set of ideas. Absolutely. And that is... Place one dogma with another. Right, yep. exactly. And, and, um, and so to try to capture a dynamic and... Um, a relational dynamic that that is expressed in ideas but not exhausted by them is a really tricky way of trying to articulate the gospel and uh that's why i thought okay i i i love like you had a couple of of things in here about ideologies and the most pernicious ideologies the ideology that are deemed christians or yeah. the, the yes. ideologies that are deemed christian um they because uh, you argue ideologies are compelling because of the the way they make us feel, yes, and that plays into us being you call it the the psychological human or the psychological man, but I'll universalize that to the psychological human. Go in a little bit into why how how why it is that how we feel is the relationship we have to ideas. So instead of me. Uh, using ideas to challenge the way that I feel, it seems like that process is reversed a little bit. Yeah, I, it, it has that that phrase. The psychological man is from Philip Reif, who taught at UPenn for a long time. His his on his whole thing was we used to he he charted different eras. We used to live many years years ago as the political man. What is best for the nation state? Then in like the mid 20th century, after the industrial revolution, we became the economic man. If you make money, if you produce, uh, you're, you know, be a good capitalist, like you're going to, you're going to, that's what you need to do, provide for your family, all that stuff. Mm. He said in the 1980s and 70s, after the sexual revolution and after the mid 20th century, that is what he calls, we became kind of the psychological man or the psychological human. And he said it was replaced with, you know, an inner understanding of our emotional life that um, if we are uh, self-aware and feeling good, uh, that is what we will, that was what will drive us. It used to be the state, you know, my allegiance to my country. Then it was money, my allegiance to making retirement. And now it's become kind of an allegiance to the way that we feel. So because of that, I kind of took that and kind of said, you know, that is what we are looking for when we are scanning the, plane of ideas mm. we are really and i would say when we show up to church uh, you know we we are in this mm. moment in our culture where we are heavily weighing how we feel 
Mm-hmm. And it's good. It's made a lot of great changes. You know, every time I talk about this, I want to be super careful because, you know, I think my grandpa, you know, I one time asked him about like, yeah, man, you, he was a missionary and I was asking him like, when you were there, like, how did, how did that you and your and grandma, like, how did it make you feel? He's like, he didn't know what I was talking about. You know, he was like, at some level, he was like, he was like, well, what do you mean? How did it make me feel? I mean, I was just obeying the Lord, you know, it's like, right, it was right. Irrelevant. He's, he's German. So that might also have to do with it. But, um, <laughs> but you know, you, you know, I think our grandparents didn't think about marriage the way we think about it, where mm-hmm. it's this idea of how we feel with each other. And so just because of that, we're looking at these sets of ideas and just going, um, when I hear something, I, I, it does make me feel a type of way, angry, sad, grieved, excited, safe. And we pay a lot of attention to how we're internally doing. Mm-hmm. And so when we hear those ideas, we're just going to kind of grab onto them. And then when it comes in a whole set, we'll just buy it in large, buy it in bulk. Hmm. No, I think that's true. Is that is that coming from the triumph of the therapeutic, that, that set of yes. concepts? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's his book that like, um, was, was really big. The, the other, the other thinker that is important there is Alistair McIntyre who, who taught at Notre Dame. He, he has this phrase called emotivism. That's his scholarly thing, but yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah, that it's this driving factor towards how am I feeling and letting that kind of guide our thinking. So, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. this is not just Second, this is absolutely inside the church. I mean, 100%, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, my friend, we have to reckon then with the chapter title, Christianity is Stupid. (laughs) And um, Is this where I can say, buy my book, it's called A Captive Mind, and I can really plug it? Because yes. I have a chapter called Christianity is Stupid. Right. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's where you plug it. Um, what do you mean by that? The foolishness of the cross. First Corinthians one through three plays a huge role in the book. At the beginning, I'm like, read, please read first Corinthians one through three. Please read Colossians, read those, you know, couple chapters of scripture and then maybe read my book. It's not uh, those chapters of scripture. I mean, Mm. first Corinthians one through three has long Uh, inspired me. And in there, Paul says the cross of Jesus Christ is foolishness to certain people. It does not make sense. Um, and I have long loved that. So I, you know, as as a writer, try to get clever. Um, foolishness (laughs) is such a churchy word and it's such a, it's such a safe word, you know, but it should actually be said that many people will look at Christianity as a stupid thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Paul is like, there's going to be people, you know, he uses the Jew and, and Greek differences there, right? And so he's talking about the ways that Jewish people are going to demand kind of signs and Greeks are going to look for a kind of wisdom. And I think the wisdom thing is what caught me because there's uh, stuff I go into in the book about the the history there and the way that people were expecting wisdom then, which was through teachers who were peddling ideas. And um, the Christianity was in danger of that because there was traveling itinerant teachers that were moving around the Greco-Roman world. And there was a, there was a temptation for the pastors to become the sophists, to become these philosophers who were 
peddling ideas and there's there's cool history there where it's like they sound like youtubers they sound like influencers these guys from the first century it was all about how you dress it was about how you share your ideas what kind of cleverness do you use Mm -hmm. that was what captivated people's ideas so um christians were tempted to do that and, and christians were tempted to follow people who did that but you know paul says in there that that kind of like pinnacle of one through three is in chapter two verses one through three where he's like i decided when i came to you to know nothing mm-hmm. except jesus christ and him crucified and for paul to make that decision is is something because he was probably he was a towering intellect he was probably one of the smartest people who was alive at the time just being literate put him in a high category right yeah, let alone yeah, being a yeah. scholar of jewish literature and he said i made a decision i made a decision to set down those ideas and to tell you about a man who rose from the dead who died for his enemies when he was dying he forgave them when he was dying he was silent when he was dying he was embracing his death and not considering equality with god a thing to be grasped come on he was preaching come on he was he wasn't teaching ideas he was proclaiming that something had happened and because that thing had happened it was unleashing uh, a love onto the world that would transform it yeah. And that is why uh, it's going to be frustrating because people are going to want help with their life. What do I do with my money? What do I do with parenting? What do I, and Christianity has a lot to say about those things, yeah. but it primarily says there is nothing that you can do to be saved. And there's no amount of work you can do to be a more loving person. There is actually a love to be known that will transform who you are. And that's going to frustrate people. You know, one of my comments from some of the preaching I do is like, uh, you know, I, uh, we want more application. I don't, I don't know. You know, our, uh, there's some kind of thing in Christianity right now. that's like big on application. Give me practical application. Sometimes there's no application. Sometimes I'm here to tell you, this is who Jesus Christ is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I got to let that mess with you, or I got to let that kind of like percolate in, in your mind. Um, and so that's going to frustrate people. People are going to think Christianity is stupid. People have thought Christianity is stupid for since it started though. So that was part of my, my writing that chapter was like, it's not anything new. We don't have to sound these alarm bells and start to fight, you know, like you said, the ideas with ideas and uh, we don't have to do that. We have a message to proclaim and some people are going to think it's really dumb. Yeah. No, I think that's really good. I think one of the key, um, takeaways um from the book is is the idea that we don't have to be threatened by alternative ideas because christianity isn't just a set of those so um i want to write i want to give the full subtitle of the book while we're plugging it a captive mind christianity ideologies and staying sane in a world gone mad by chris nye we're not making any bill nye jokes we're not doing it (laughs) Chris, where can people find you online, my friend? Uh, I have a website, chrisnye.co. I'm on Instagram and social, Instagram, Twitter, but um, I have to take breaks. So I'm like on a break. So people can follow me there and whatever. But, um, and I'm on break, not because I'm holy. I'm like, I I get into the same trap everybody gets into where I'm on my phone too much. So I'm off it right now is my point. So um, I'll be back on in a little bit, but they can find me on the interwebs there. Thank you, man. Thanks for your time today. Great to meet you. It was really great meeting you guys. It's an honor to be here. Love the podcast and appreciate what you guys do. That's very kind of you, my friend. Congrats on the book. 
May Thanks. may it be received in the spirit in which it is intended, and uh, may it be a good thing for the church. So, uh, until next time, dude. We'll talk to you later. Cool. Thanks. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us